Welcome back to another episode of Checking In. In studio, I have Al Hildebrand joining us today. Thank you very much for joining us, Al. Thank you for having me. It has been uh, my pleasure to know you and Irene for over 20 years and and what an incredible journey you guys have been on. And I'm, I'm hoping you'll uh, share some secrets with us or... Sure, it's been uh, it's been quite a journey for both of us. Uh, I remember you, those twenty years. I remember those initial meetings, and uh, you both struck me as a very, <clears throat> very industrious couple. <laughs> and you've done well. Thank you, thank you. All. So, uh, I I couldn't decide, and I still haven't decided. There, there's two buckets that I want to kind of dive into. Uh, my the reason for doing checking ins is very business. I'm really trying to understand. Um, the things that happened in business, the why you zigged instead of zagged. But I cannot help but see, and I know this to be true, it's just so much more than I knew it was. You and Irene really travel from a space of service and giving and and it's and the 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 purpose or meaning within that is usually around children and it's not you didn't wake up one morning and decide to do it it is it is so in the fabric of your guys's being so let's jump into service and, and giving the research I see or the um, uh, snooping around on the internet that I was okay. able to do I think world vision started and still is yes so that's helping children <coughs> in other countries uh, yes it's um, me and my wife started with them in 1974 uh, so I mean the typical child sponsor uh, that has moved on to our kids and their t their children doing the same thing with uh, multiple kids so we're doing here but in uh, 2016 we were able to get involved in a couple of larger projects uh, in Africa uh, that would build uh, maternity care and health care facilities uh, so it's not just sponsoring individual children, but helping a community. And uh, so that was interesting to watch that. Uh, I haven't gone out to see it yet, but I was supposed to, but then COVID hit, and so we didn't make it. But who knows, maybe sometime in the future. But, uh, you know, dealing with kids in an early age, so they have a start in life, was a big impact. And it's a great organization. I, I really love the organization. So the if we if we bring it back to local and and uh, the work that you and Irene have done in the community. It's enormous, it is. It's a lot of heavy lifting from, uh, no surprise, Al and Al, Al and Irene are at a table for Joanna's house uh, for starting that. You, I, I can still close my eyes and see the, the funding, capital funding kickoff campaign for the Child Advocacy Center, the work that you guys have done with the Foundry yeah. uh, and having huge impact in having a central location with that serves the needs of children and then brings in the people to, to support. So uh, again, core is children and making a difference in children. Talk to me on, on just, and cops for kids, like it, it just, yeah. It's so much. Well, how do you do it all? Well, each of them is very different, and yeah. maybe I, I should go back to yeah. how it sort of started or evolved. Because in, 
I retired from my QHR days uh, in 2015. Mm -hmm. Then I was looking for what I'm going to do next. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, a local friend of mine uh, said when I was asking, where would I, if I, if I did have some money, where would I invest it, locally? What are the community projects mm -hmm. that would be good? And this individual, who's well known in, in town here, said mental health. Mental health is where you should looking at. Mental health is a coming tsunami of issues for everybody. Mm -hmm. And we are not equipped to handle all the stuff here. So that introduced mm -hmm. me to the CMHA, Kelowna. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I happened to meet uh, Sheila Turner, the mm -hmm. CEO, just now, just retiring. Mm -hmm. And that started us on a journey a couple months later where a center that they were envisioning and promoted by, uh, by the province was Foundry Kelowna. And so we were able to be early on investors in that project, personally. Watch them work it from scratch. Uh, watch mm -hmm. from concept to building it out to tearing out the, the cement to watching everything of that go. Along with Mike Gullick, who's actually there now, their new CEO. And I learned so much from what they did in that project to driving all the core services together, mm -hmm. where everybody that was touching children's health, mental health, from 12 to 24 would start their journey at one place. Mm -hmm. And that made business sense to me. It, 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 I can honestly say that made business sense to me instead of everybody doing it on their own. And that's why I got involved and I was able to enjoy working with them on that part. And I, I find that you, you gave me a tip in that, in that sentence that you gave. I think, and again, I'm an outsider looking in. I've been in the community for 25 years and I see one of the things that makes me so proud about this community is that there are so many people that lean in, raise the bar, and help with whatever it is. Right. It can be the rail trail, it can be a pet thing, it can be a sure. Okanagan College new health center, yeah. something that you be, it doesn't matter what the thing is, this community rallies. Yes. It does, it's impressive. So so there's, a, there's a, a, um, a system in place, and I see it all the time, and there's great people that come in and, and fundraise. Al, you fundraise different. You do. You're, the mountain can be enormous, enormous, un, un, just not possible. Well, mission possible. <clears throat> yeah. You do things that are far greater than most, and I think it's the, I think that a lot of it comes back to your business acumen. You, and again, I do want to have time to dive into sure. to that. So that, that Foundry project uh, led them at the time to, they were raising $2 million to build out a center. Mm -hmm. And they had never raised that type of money on their own for the local project here, so they partnered with KGH Foundation. Yes. And that's where I also learned about KGH Foundation yeah. with Doug Rackmore and the team yeah. that was there. And I really studied, I, I, I'm a, I, I love studying organizations. You're a numbers guy. And numbers yep. guy, you know? Yep. And as such, I really learned how they do their business. Mm -hmm. And this was their first project that they did outside of the walls of the, of the hospital. Okay. Typically, a hospital foundation works inside the hospital. Yep. This was a community foundation. And so I learned that if you bring the right type of people together and they're good in what they do and they excellent everything, then things work out. And so I learned two organizations, one project, and that led to the next project later on, which was Joanna's House, right? So I love, you know, listening and talking to people and, I tell people, oh, beg, borrow, and steal any great idea <laughs> to help me move forward um, in a positive way, okay? Sure. And yeah, it, it does go back to the basics of business. You know, if, you're, if you've been in business, you know, 
Uh, I always think of things from a sales perspective. Sure. Uh, if I have a product, if I have, you know, whatever, uh, if you can't sell it, if somebody can't sell it, yeah. it's not going to go very far. No. You know, but if you can believe in it and sell it and get other people joining in with you and whether it's employees or partners or whatever here, somebody's got to, the, 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 the wheels of business have to be selling something or some service. And that's, and that's not always easy, especially if you're competing against great big companies. So I always viewed myself as a little guy yeah. competing against the giants. And that just meant that I had to work harder and I'll hustle them. So that's a beautiful segue for me into uh, total care, QHR. You, but but I want to I want to go back a little bit. So young, Al, uh, you were a policeman before you were a fireman. Yes. There. What? Okay. So, but before that, you were banking. Yes. My first, when I, I, I call myself a grade 12 Alberta farm boy. Grade 12 I, uh, I went farm to um, uh, GTAFB, is my title. Okay, so. Oh. Um, I went to Edmonton, uh, looked for a job. I got to hired by the Royal Bank, and they shipped yeah. me out to Drayton Valley. So my first okay. job was with Royal Bank, uh, 1970, and I worked in a community in Western Alberta. And then uh, a year later, they shipped me to Calgary. So young farm boy in the big city for the first time. And I remember going down to the library, before the internet, obviously, Hi. and, and uh, went down to the library and passed the police station. And I just, curious 19-year-old kid, walked in, and I talked to the sergeant at the front desk and how he likes his job and how he likes his work. And I would sort of had policing potential in my background, I thought, you know. Okay. And uh, at the time, the salary for a Calgary policeman was nearly double what I was making at the Royal Bank. Sure. So I said, I can cut my hair. And at 1972, January 21st, I became a Calgary City policeman. And I loved that job. I loved being a cop. I still, I still think I think like a cop. Yeah. Okay, although that's decades ago. <clears throat> but it was a great learning opportunity for this young farm boy. And, uh, you know, how to deal with people, you know, I saw the good of people, I saw the worst of things mm. that happened, but nothing like the cops have to deal with today. Mm. You know, it's, it's uh, as, as you mentioned, with Cops for Kids, I've been able to meet and go and work with a lot of the, the local police organizations and what to do here. You know, society has shifted so much from those 70s, you know, it's, it's been uh, quite a change. And uh, they have a lot, of work, a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. Mental health tsunami. Policemen to firemen. What? What happened? What? <laughs> Why? Well, I was. Uh, I guess I was a wannabe serial entrepreneur in those days. I, I remember being uh, a policeman, and uh, me and my wife had to start the backhoe business, and we had uh, four backhoes and 20 people working for us in separate jobs. We uh, uh -huh. we started. We built a restaurant in Airdrie uh, called the High Women Pizza and Steakhouse. Uh, I was doing a number yeah. of different other jobs. Okay. I had no idea. And, okay. And. Uh, so it's called moonlighting, okay, sure. in those days, you know. Sure. Um, and uh, firemen had a lot better shift. And if you're lucky, you can also sleep at work. So <laughs> the same union, the sa or a similar union, a similar structure, similar pay, just better shift than hours. So I decided to become a fireman. And that was a challenging job to get in, because oh it's a, a stress um, job oriented. But I loved that job too. You know, I loved being a fireman. I loved doing uh, that type of work, you know, but it gave me a little bit more time off to do other things. 
and that led to us getting involved in the business that brought us out to BC in 1981. Okay. And that's how we got to Kelowna. So, now you've landed, 1981. When do you open Total Care and, and what was that bridge to, like, really help me here. Pizza place, bank, backhoe, backhoe moving company, <laughs> police, firemen, and yeah. now you go tech or IT? Not quite. Help me. Uh, in 1981, when we moved here, yeah. uh, for those that are old enough to remember, that's when the uh, the National Energy Program hit and everything went wrong. Everything started going on a downhill slide. Interest rates were 22%. Yes. And so uh, my venture that I came out here for didn't didn't work out. And so okay. I needed a job and I started working for a company in town that was selling computers. And so I started selling computers in 1983, wine computers to be specific, okay? And I did that for about eight years. And uh, that got into different sectors. I was selling across North America to McDonald restaurant owner operators. I was selling to the medical field, doctors with billing systems. And uh, that was about an eight year you know, time period that I was learning the trade of how to be a salesperson. Interesting. On a totally yeah. new venture yeah. that, you know, and that lasted until 1991. Um, and then I started in 1990. And then uh, me and my wife started our first uh, tech business, uh, which was Total Care Technologies. And we took over a, a, a software package that was developed by BCIT, the ARC lab, the research lab of BCIT. Mm -hmm. It was their first commercialization of its software product. And it was built for the Kelowna General Hospital. So I partnered with them to actually advance that product and make it go beyond KGH. And uh, that was my start in technology on my own. And it was a startup, bootstrapped all the way for many years. And uh, but that product is still in use around the world, and uh, including here. And uh, it was, uh, as far as I know, it was the world's first graphical staff scheduling system. Remember, this is in DOS 2.0 oh days. Oh my gosh! And so yeah. they were brilliant at what they built, and uh, we took it over and started marketing it. Okay, I want to go to the to the end. So we are total care technologies. We we evolve into QHR, okay. and at our peak, at our highest, our staffing was about how many? Well, total total. Yeah, well, uh, and I know you'll fill in some. Yeah, I mean, probably at, at, uh, at the tail end of my yep. business career was yep. two hundred and twenty employees. Okay, but over that. 15 or 20 year time period, we probably had uh, in different countries and locally um, over a thousand employees that worked for our companies in those time periods. Through the ups and downs of the tech sector. And uh, so that's a lot oh, of people. Well, you yeah. bet it is. So how do we go? What, what words of wisdom can you share, Al, to go from a bootstrap startup to a many hundreds of, of employees and, and people working across, like, did you have a playbook? Did you have a mentor? Did you follow your gut? Did you, like, <laughs> Maybe a bit how of all, did you I, do that? I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I really had a mentor. It was, it was a gut feeling. You yeah. always have to figure where the next dollar is coming from. And if you weren't selling and the money was coming to repeat, so yeah. I was fortunate that my marketplace was healthcare. Yeah. And it's a it's a business that's always going to be there. It's not going to go out of business. Sure. And so I I you know later on in 
1997, we started the payroll and HR and scheduling yeah. Yeah. business here. That became QHR yeah. and uh, when we went public. And uh, in 2004, we acquired uh, uh, an electronic medical record system uh, locally from Dr. Tom, Tom Kinahan. And uh, that became our EMR system. And you know that's how we started in the EMR system, which is in the end what we were most known for, was the EMR system. Okay. So um, uh, that's a company we built up, uh, you know. And the only thing that saved our bacon is that we concentrated on reoccurring revenue, reoccurring mm -hmm. revenue. Mm -hmm. And so remember when I retired, we had twenty-eight million dollars in reoccurring revenue, and that allowed us to be a sustainable operation. That eventually was bought a year later. Uh, when they sold out. And that was the purchase from Loblaws? Yes. So, okay, let's let's go down the recurring revenue. Like, there was a day where you had no recurring revenue. Yes. None, not yeah. one. And and so you're traveling through business and are you selling, uh, are you selling the products and services one-off and then you have an aha moment that you realize it's hard to continue? Or did it naturally present itself as a recurring revenue model? The industry for EMR was yep. a reoccurring billing. Okay. You're using software, which is now software as a service, right? And yep. they But <clears throat> what allowed us to be successful is the payroll HR and staff scheduling business we had first, which grew to about $10 million of revenue. That was repeatable revenue, and that was like our stable, regular revenue. Yeah. That wasn't monthly. That was that was a new business that we did in that time period, and it allowed us the time to start fresh with a new avenue or new stream. Yep. That was you totally built on recurring revenue. Yep. And that was a lot easier. It was like rent. People at yeah. our businesses were based upon rent. The rent always gets paid, right? And that's different than always selling something new. And across Canada, uh, we had uh, nearly ten thousand doctors as our clients using their EMR system, and it was one of the newer ones, and it caught the attention of other people out there, and eventually was acquired. So, the, what was the competitive landscape in Canada for EMR when you were coming in? So, billing systems, medical billing systems yeah. in, the, in the 80s and 90s and 2000s was all provincial, so there's, there's, most of them were just single province type customers. EMR, then each of the provinces, started dictating how you get qualified to work in that province because healthcare is very provincial. Mm -hmm. There's a federal component, yeah. but it's all delivered provincially. So everybody had separate rules. So we, we were allowed, we started in BC and then Alberta and Saskatchewan, and so we became a national vendor because we acquired other companies. They were in different territories. Most of them were in trouble. And so we took over their old technology and replaced it with new, new technology. And so that's how we grew across the country, right to Nova Scotia. It's, it's difficult, every territory is, is different. And so we, fortunately we had great people. We had very, very top-notch development team. We had great people across the country and, and we learned by, as we bought other older companies that had gone before us, what did they do well and what they did not do well. So acquisitions, you yes. had acquisitions great. in. So 16, 16 acquisitions uh, in the time period that we were public. What about pre? I did a couple oh, back then too, but that's not, that's not, it's private, right? That's how we grew our business that way, right? But in terms of, we did 16 acquisitions in that time period, which is all a learning curve. Um, every oh. time you buy that out, you take over somebody else's problems. 
Yeah. Um, and um, we we took the problems and all, and replaced it with newer technology, and, the, and gave them extraordinary customer service, and they liked it. You know, not all the acquisitions turn out well. You know, a couple of them didn't no, along the sure. way. You learned by that. That was a U.S. acquisition we did. Yeah. Um, but most of them turned out well. Okay, so how, there's only so many hours in the day, there's only so many minutes, there's only so much brain energy that you have, Al. How did, uh, were, you, were you able to do this because you were good at growing and identifying potential leaders and leaders? Did you have a good, was there a core team that helped you with this or, or was, were people literally chasing after you, catching Al's ideas and trying to realize them? How did how did everybody keep up with you? I, I really is that big, and because I've been a student of other organizations, looking at their financial, looking at their if they're public, looking yeah. at their business practice, look at how they mm -hmm. how they sell what they've got there, and how they're you know every every company in there has always got their bragging, you know they talk about who they are, but studying that and getting down because it's in the financials that it really tells the story and how are you growing. And so I knew that even with the 30, 40 competitors that are in the EMR space yeah. in Canada at that yeah. time, yeah. Um, they're not all gonna survive. They're not gonna make the next generation. Some of them are already moving into the next generation of family ownership, but they weren't gonna be successful. Oh, literally the next generation. So okay, okay. what I did by studying my competitors, yeah. who, as you know, in business, yeah, yeah. You're, you're knocking heads. Yeah. I always knew that a competitor, you know, a competitor could become an ally. So when I would go to meet them, I said, I'm your competitor, okay? But I'd like to get to know you. I don't know when and where and how, but someday we might work together. And so I always started keeping tabs and walking to see them and not be afraid to meet with my competitor. I was, I was doing that myself, sorry. And, and I would go to see them and meet with them and say, hi, it's Al, okay? And along the way, some of them bought into that and wanted to talk more and some didn't until it was kind of late in the game. But that's how I got to know our competitors and how to do it. And of course, our information is public, so every time we did an acquisition, it was always under the scrutiny of the public rules. Sure. So, uh, which are higher than most private rules, you know? Mm -hmm. But that's how we got known, and, and uh, it's kind of a fun thing to walk in and <laughs> see how they would do the acquisition. That is unbelievably fascinating. I love the studying of the competitor and whatever is public and, and learning through the financials. I think that's so brilliant. And um, I did that also in, in, uh, when we did one divestiture. We sold our payroll division in 2013. Uh, it was a $10 million business unit that we had, yeah. and uh, we, we decided to uh, move it on. Uh, some, you know, somebody else would want it. We, we sold that. And we sold that in 2013 for $20 million. It's public information. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was the reverse of that. I had to actually find the people that could be people that would be entertaining us <clears throat> as their acquisition. So you have to uh, put yeah, yourself yeah, yeah. in their shoes and who, what would make us attractive to somebody like that without looking like you're for sale. Okay, so that's, that's something I just want to talk on more because I remember 20 years ago you were telling me uh, as a brand new business person that you always have to be ready for two scenarios one a knock at the door someone wanting to acquire you and you had to entertain that and you had to know who would be knocking so I, f I love that 
nugget that you gave me but then the flip side of that was always pay attention and be aware for acquisition opportunities because they do those great big leaps up in your company and we've we've done some so uh going public if you could redo or have a mulligan would you change your philosophy and acquisitions or would you change the way you um, presented yourself to be attractive? Because you you were it was a yeah. it was a very basic nature play. Like you had your peacock feathers out. I did <laughs> shining and trying to get attention, and or would you not go public or would you do something different in going public? Well, that was uh, remember a that's decades questions. ago, right? So yeah. uh, we went public in our company at that time, which, which we became QHR, because we were competing, remember this is 1999, yeah, yeah. In, the, in the ramp up to all the options and all the stuff that people were getting, we're competing with people across uh, North America for salaries and everybody's getting these options and so it was crazy valuations that was happening there and we had no currency you know, that was really money or yeah. share. So we decided to go public as a way of doing that. Okay. We, we went public in June of 2000. Yeah. And within a year, the whole marketplace went this way. So, you know, if I had to do it over again, I would time it better. <laughs> but you yeah. don't know those things. No, you don't. Um, and, but I would use the principles of being public in every business venture, even if I was private. Okay. Because that's the difference. You learn from the higher level of standards. But I, I would, if I was starting today, I would, I would, I would go very much private. Interesting. And, but I would do the acquisitions the same way, because the acquisitions are trying to figure out. So if I'm trying to buy your business, what do you have now that you're on your trajectory? Yeah. And we will never make a business deal unless I can come up with something that is as good as or better then you continue down that path. Uh-huh. And so I always used to say, well, where are you at? What do you think? Where do you want to be? Mm-hmm. And if I, if I, our company could not show that our plan for them was better than their own plan with our resources, then there was it's never a deal. Not a conversation. But if they said, oh, maybe tying up with them is actually better. So if you have services and products that the other ones don't have, which, which, which I know you guys have done the same similar things, right? You then can become attractive to anybody, but you have to figure out how to do it with them for I their benefit. I love the philosophy that you just said of uh, staying private, but but uh, running as if you were public and around those principles of excellence. And uh, I think there's. I think that's so fascinating. Yeah, because when you're public, you're in the specter of everybody in the public and you're mm-hmm. dealing with everybody in the hype situations and stuff. And remember, I went public when market valuations were like $3 million. And you don't entertain too many good offers on Bay Street when your market valuation is $3 million. Yeah. You know, we were very early in that game. Yeah. Right? But I stuck with uh, it and kept on going. And eventually, um, eventually our uh, valuation turned and then we kept on going. So I don't begrudge it at all that we did it. It was okay for us and it was good for us, but it's not for everybody. So if I can kind of 
put every all the pieces together now. Al, you literally were the face of philanthropy in, in one of our printed publications, but it's authentic and it's genuine. Like, philanthropy runs in your guys' veins. The again the energy that it takes to run a corporation yeah. and a and a multi uh, service and and different division organization like you built requires a lot of time and energy. How did you layer in um, giving and serving and 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 being meaningful in the in the community? Well. What I did is, again, uh, know, know the zone you're into or where you get into, yeah. know your competition. And in the philanthropy world, as I shared, they're not competitors. Yeah. Uh, they, they are, they're all people trying to do the same thing, but you still have yeah. to figure out who's doing what, who's yeah. doing what well, okay? And if it doesn't exist, then you're starting something new. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did with the Child Advocacy Center. It didn't exist here in town, right? So we had to start from scratch on that one there and build it, and it's doing what it's intended to do. Mm-hmm. But our research was done across the country, mm-hmm. taking a look at what other ones have done, how would they build it differently if they were had a do-over, and then that, that at least set the pattern for us to start looking at what, and even right now when I'm looking at different different things, I, I look at what's, what's out there, what's, what's not being handled, what could be done better, and it, I keep on going back to the same thing. I think it can be handled by more of us working together I think it's no one single secret weapon that's going to solve our problems. Mm-hmm. It's going to take hard work to actually identify what the issues are, and you know, our community, as many communities, have, have a lot of challenges. Yeah. And and so, is it possible to figure out something that you can build um, uh, a sustainable future operation that'll really force some systemic change? Mm-hmm. Make a difference longer term, not a sh- mm-hmm. not, not short term. Mm-hmm. I'm not a short term thinker. Mm-mm. And so you have to figure out what is where you at today, where could it be, and what is it going to take to get there. So is that the impact tomorrow today foundation? Yes. How? So that I loved impact. What are you What are you doing today as a donor or as a project that's to going to impact, impact tomorrow's tomorrow. issues? Yeah. So the. the and again, I'm very visual, and you gave me this this story. Uh, you you told me of a stream and being in the stream and trying to come w- instead of staying downstream and plucking people out that are yes. needing help. We're coming way upstream and trying to change um, the things that are impacting and having that negative effect that gets children or. Adults yeah. into that, so that that I can I can always close my eyes and see that. It takes years for that to have impact. So your your work is to try and and have change that is um, that we will see realized in a decade in 10 or 20 years from now. So Yes, so if you look at a current situation, every community has their homeless homeless issues. And there's different people that are different organizations trying to help in that part of it here. And some of it's Band-Aid solutions to certain things, some of it moves people out of the way, and some are still challenged with it here. But if you look upstream just a little bit, and the same person that told me about watching and going after mental health told me, coined a phrase, I don't know if it's appropriate or not, but he said, 
if we can just figure out a way to help the working poor, and I don't mean that derogatory. No. I mean I mean it in no. a true sense of where that there are so many families that are in this economics, especially after COVID and all the challenges we've had as a community here, that are that are one crisis away from changing levels. Mm -hmm. So one accident, one job loss, one health issue, uh, one family crisis, you know, like uh, one issue moves them into a totally different trajectory, which in most cases is downward, a downward spiral, yeah. it's not upward, no. right? Uh, there's a lot more downward spiral. So if we can figure out how to help those people that are in that zone, not they're not homeless yet, but someday they might. And if we as a community don't step up and try to help them to get their jobs and get that better and, and take care of their kids and, and a lot of it revolves around mental health and challenges and mm -hmm. people that have to work at things. So to me that is the next big challenge, okay, is what can we do as a community to improve that situation in the lives of our, of our, of our citizens here and the ones that are coming, mm -hmm. be it immigrants, be it, mm -hmm. be it the people coming to Kelowna. Um, it's a nice place, but it's also a very expensive place to live. You bet it is. And so, you know, we have to do our best to try to figure that out. And I don't have the answers yet. And that's, that's just yeah. it. The complexity of yeah. the issue is so great yeah. uh, that I yes. think a lot of people may want to help, but they just don't know what to do. Yes. You're different because you just, you and Irene roll up your sleeves. And you just, you just start. I, I guess I don't know no different. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 nobody taught me this. I just, I just, um, if I start in something, then I will try my best yeah. to get it done until uh, all the roadblocks say this is not your calling. <laughs> but at this point here, uh, as the problems get bigger and we need more people, you have to figure out who you can partner with. There's lots of people with experience in this town. They're looking for a way how to help move forward. Mm -hmm. It takes money, but it yeah. also takes creativity and how to work together as a partner to pull something together. So I don't know what that next venture is yet at this point for me, but uh, if there's a hint in our discussion, that's, that's I think, there's the um, next thing coming. And it's a big, it's a big thing. It's not a, it's not a six month project. It's a, it's a two to five year, if it happens, it'll be a two to five year project. Uh, and then maybe I'll retire, okay? I know you won't. <laughs> so that actually leads me into my next question. What is your secret uh, to your almost 50 years of marriage? 47.6 years, 25.4 million minutes. Hi, <laughs> you are a numbers guy. You know, I think I've been very, very fortunate that, uh, first of all, <laughs> I met a very good, uh, very good, uh, have a very good wife, okay? Irene is fantastic. She's yes. been the rock for our family. Yeah. Uh, and our toughest days, you know, when things were not looking good in business and different mm -hmm. things, you know, I had this, it's faith, family, and friends. Those, those are the three, those are the three things that yeah. interchangeably, uh, you know, kept us going. and. I've got three kids that are married. Uh, each of them got two grandchildren each. Yes. Uh, it's a fun time in life when you got grandchildren. Uh, you, especially as a seven-year-old grandpa, uh, sometimes you get away with things uh. by spoiling certain things and saying, oh well, 
<laughs> you, you can go home. <laughs> uh, you know, but I'm so incredibly proud of them and how they're doing life on their own and how each of them, I believe, is better parents than I was, you know, in terms of the next generation, you know, in investing in their kids. Each of them have a boy and a girl at different ages here. So, so we've been able to see our kids grow up in different settings, some here, some in the States. And, you know, it's, uh, it's neat if we can help them understand what you're doing. And I'm very fortunate that uh, we've had really good kids. And I give that credit to my wife. She's, she's been the rock in that part of it. Al, I'm so, uh, I can't help but comment something that I read, giving us a family affair with the Hildebrand, Hildebrand clan. Yeah. So you, you have led by example. Uh, you've been an incredible mentor to your children and your grandchildren and the community at large. I can't wait to continue to see that legacy of, of giving and love and uh, faith, family, friends run through your children, but the, the lives of the people that you touched. I can't wait to see what your next big impact is because I will be for sure helping and involved and uh, doing anything I can to help it realized. And I'm, I'm just thankful to, to know you, you and Irene, and thank well, you thank so you. much for coming in. And thank you for all you do in our community. Okay, great. Thanks, Al.